start off the uh, evening with this poem <clears throat> written by a kid from uh, Detroit he's not here Dennis uh, his name's real hard to pronounce Bondarenic it was the night after Derby and all alone in the room just one shadow was moving an old man with a broom the door creaked open and others came in Cornbread and Brett, Eddie Taylor and then. Camp and Kikoffer, they all came in first. And straight from Grand Rapids, the great Harold Worst. Childress, Dioro, and Fats came in too. Mexican Johnny, Rags, and California Johnny McHugh. The door stayed open as they all filed through. Layton, Lingo, and Miserac too. Too many to count, so fast they came in. The old man was awestruck to see them again. Some asked his name and he said, last pocket joke. They told him, we'll be here for the night, then we'll pack up and go. For the last nine days, they've held DCC. This one is ours. Just sit back and see. See what happens when the greatest put up stakes. Watch bugs bank out. You'll make no mistakes. Moscone and Greenleaf, 150s and out. New York Blackie, slip stroking. That's what it's about. Watch Edgar play Poochie till deep in the night. Shaking and baking till he gets it right. Salami will stake him with something to do. While water dogs nodding, he'll wake up at two. <laughs> yes, they'll all come here from some faraway place. Taberski, Rudolph, and there's Babyface. Schaefer and Hoppy will be here at nine. Matching up for the title at 18-1 Balk Line. Spath and Elliot and Romberg too. We'll be playing some banks till at least one or two. McHugh and Bugs may also join in. If blood shows up, it could go on until 10. <clears throat> Lassiter, James Evan, Evans, and Heisler are here. Just awaiting their chance. They've never shown fear. St. Jean and Ponzi, Andrews both, are in deep conversation with Big Hubert Cox. Strawberry and Clem just got off the train, followed closely by Laurie and, of course, Irving Crane. Irvalino, Cochran, and Pittsburgh John are up at the counter to see which table they're on. Boston Shorty, Sangley, and St. Louis Lou speak with Jimmy Karras till there's something to do. 
They know that it's coming. They know that it's soon. It's just once a year that they take over this room. All that they ask for their travel and sweat is to let them stick around. Let them play a set. Let Fatty play camp and match up for their cars. Let Taylor and Bunk, Bugs bank out to the stars. Let Cornbread, <coughs> let cornbread play horse face. They play 10 to 8. They'll play all night. They can't really wait. Let Luther play boom boom. Nine ball into the night. We'll finally see which one gets it right. Let Laurie play men who are just too afraid to play with a woman whose legend is made. Moscone and Greenleaf will be put to the test. Finally, they'll settle which one is the best. They'll play all night and through the next day. None will get tired. They came here to play. They'll all leave a message when it comes time to leave. Just enjoy us and love us and always believe. We're always there in your memories and dreams. Helping to guide you, as tough as it seems. So go on and play and when you run out, remember we're watching. We'll stand and we'll shout. Though you won't hear us, you'll know that we're there. Though you will not see us, you'll know that we care. So don't worry about us and never feel sad. We're all more than content with the lives that we've had. Just think of us sometimes when you shoot at the nine. Because you'll be up here yet when it's your time. That's it. All right, great. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond. I will be your host once again for this very special tribute to our late great friend, Freddie the Beard Bentevegna. He was a pool icon. He was a hustler icon. Uh, he was a Chicago icon. You know, to understand Freddie, to talk to Freddie, was to talk to the city of Chicago. You had, in Chicago, see, you've got uh, different types of people that come out of the different regions around town. They all, you know, there's the different cultures are divided up into neighborhoods and into areas. On the north side, you've got, you know, Lakeview, and you've got um, west side, you've got what has become Oprahville, and on the uh, the near northeast side, you've got the Gold Coast, and you got Wrigleyville, of course, and then the West Side, Oprah, and the projects, and what's becoming a really nice neighborhood. On the South Side or the Southwest Side, you've got Little Italy. Um, you've got uh, on the South Side, Printers Row, Bronzeville, Bridgeport, where Freddie was from. And they all dis they all produce these distinct personalities that are relative to Chicago. So if you ever spent any time with him, um, or got to hear him speak, even in some on some occasions, 
you would begin to understand what that uh, what that Bridgeport mentality was like. Uh, it was a uh, a gruff sort of uh, very proud neighborhood, and uh, it turned him into quite the character. Absolutely, it's very applicable to uh, to hustling. It's a very if there was ever a place to grow up to learn to be a hustler, uh, Bridgeport would have been that place. <laughs> I don't think that you could go, uh, you know, to the near north side and learn how to uh, hustle pool. Anyway, I'm really bad at uh, speaking about people eulogizing because uh, I will get emotional and uh, ridiculous about it. And so I'm not going to go on and on about Freddie. Um, I just really appreciate his positive attitude and his goodness. He was not an evil person. He wasn't a big tough guy. He was a smart guy. That's how he got uh, his hustle on. So he was not an intimidating human being at all. And and I think that even for what he did, um, it still didn't make, you know, a blemish on his reputation to be a hustler. It didn't make him a criminal, you know? And, uh, the world needs more characters like that, you know, people that are willing to uh, be outstanding in their field, so to speak, uh, to be able to stand up for something. So uh, I have a lot of respect for him. Um, and there I go. See, I told you I wasn't going to go on and on about him. Um, the poem that you heard at the beginning of the program was from the 2012 One Pocket uh, Hall of Fame dinner. And I just wanted to thank the producers of the video, Ray Hansen and Big Truck, or, or Big Truck Ray Hansen, uh, OnePocket.org, uh, and whoever else I may have missed in, in, in the uh, production of that video for making it happen. That's, uh, that was a really good piece of history that you have there, and we all appreciate it. Um, we will uh, refrain also from reading you a bunch of statistics and facts about Freddie because one of the things he was good at is getting himself out there, putting himself out there for the world to see. His website is a is an open book. So uh, we don't want to be redundant and, and read off things that you can uh, learn or that you might already know about him anyway. Uh, suffice to say that we are going to miss him a great deal. And uh, we just wanted to let the world know that uh, that uh, there's a, we have a special place for him in our heart and uh, he'll never be forgotten, at least not in Chicago anyway. He'll never be forgotten. We will conclude the show with uh, an interview that we did with Freddie uh, earlier this year in February. And I'll let you listen to that again. And uh, we'll just wish Freddie well. And hopefully he's uh, hooked up with uh, his buddy George and they're playing a game right now. All right, Freddie, take care. We'll see you soon. Technically speaking, what is your definition of a hustler? Well, it's a guy that's takes chances, goes around, plays in strange places. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may <clears throat> he may play weak action, you know. He, he may play uh, he may play people that he can beat for sure, and he might have to disguise himself uh, and, and make believe he plays a lot worse than he actually does. 
Yeah, there you go. But that's not that's just part of the thing. You know, you're, you're going to have to play. You not time you would you'd have to end up eventually playing some tough action, okay? If you wanted to eat, because the knife and fork, yeah. you know, on the road, the nut on the road would get you. You had to finally, you know, you have to play. If you run out of easy action, then you're going to have to start playing some of those sharks. Couldn't sit and wait for something to keel over and fall dead in front of you, and you can go through his pockets. That's what these guys are looking to do today. Waiting for somebody to pass out. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have to get up and boogie. Was there a particular uh, guy that you were, um, I don't want to say a favorite, but was there somebody that you enjoyed playing more than the others, or something, somebody that was more memorable for some reason? Well, the most, the most memorable guy of all, let's face it, but Minnesota Fats. Okay, I mean, he was a unique, unique character. There's just never been anybody like him before or since. Yeah, he was. I something. mean, the, the, the personality of this guy was incredible. I mean, he would wherever he was at, he could empty out a room to follow. People would follow him all over. He'd come into a place, and wherever he was at, everybody else was around him. He drew crowds. It was just amazing. And he was just, uh, he told a lot of lies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of exaggerations. But actually, he some of it was, some of it was true. Yeah. yeah. To me, he was a great player. I thought he was a hell of a player. I've seen him play. I've seen him play for uh, big money. You know, he's playing for 300 500 a game in the 60s. That's a lot of money back then, you know. Yeah, He's playing was. the best players in the world. Ronnie Allen and Tuscaloosa Squirrel and... Cornbread Red and Danny Jones and Weenie Beanie. Those were tough, tough players back then. And, uh, did you take them for any money? Did I? No, I never played Fats. I, I, I was, uh, I was a Fats groupie. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was a young kid then, and uh, Ernie didn't play that well either at the time. I didn't start playing pretty good until I was like thirty. I really developed very late. You know? Wow. But I just like to hang around Fats and uh, listen to his banter. You know, the guy, he could really talk, you know. Yeah. And he was funny, way. funny, extremely funny. And, <laughs> you know, he had the sar sarcastic little things he would say. And uh, nobody dared try to buck him uh, with conversation. They didn't, you, you never want to try to, you know, to, to get the best of Fats in conversation. <laughs> had no chance. You know, I watched some of, the, um, some of the video on him, and it's almost like, he is, uh, I mean, a stand-up comedian almost. Exactly. All the lines he had was great. I mean, one-liners, perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, he was on the Tonight Show, uh, uh, Mike Douglas Show, a bunch of different uh, interview TV. And when he'd be on, they'd cancel the other guests. <laughs> okay? He was on, I'm sure, was, I'm almost 90% sure it was the Tonight Show. It used to, and it used to run for two hours. Back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Maybe even two and a half hours, I think. From ten, two and a half hours, two hours for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had Fats came out as the first guest. They canceled all the other guests. <laughs> okay, kept Fats on the whole time. <laughs> they had him on with uh, Muhammad Ali. Okay, I know Muhammad Ali. Wow. He's a pretty good sized ego, right? Yeah, he does. He, he got into it with Fats. They started, got into a bragging contest. Oh, that's And uh, finally, well, he threw his hands up in the air, and he said, Fats, 
you are the greatest. Because <laughs> <laughs> all he used to always cry, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. But uh, yeah. he conceded the fact he couldn't fade fast as that. <laughs> oh, that's that's true. that that is really funny, actually. Is it? Uh, is do you have? Well, have you had a favorite game the whole time, or do you did you switch up to different different things over you know over well, the my, years? My best game was my best game has been bank pool. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I, I can always play pretty good bank pool. And uh, the first game I learned, I didn't learn straight in pool. I learned first game I played was bank pool. Well, that's a good idea. And, uh, well, that's the, the way. That's what they played in my old neighborhood here in Bridgeport, in Chicago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I always played pretty good bank, and I am in the uh, in 2006. I, I was inducted into the Bank Pool Hall of Fame. Into so. the Hall of Fame, yeah. Uh, uh, well, that was a great honor. Did you ever end but up? I, sorry, go ahead. No, then I ended up. Uh, I had to switch over to one pocket because there's more action in one pocket. Yeah, that's it's pretty hard what, to get a bank game. Much yeah. easier to get a one one pocket game. That's what I was just about to ask. Did you end up having to play something else just because that's the only action oh, you could sure. get? Yeah, well, sure, sure. And uh, but I wasn't a very good player anyway. <laughs> but this uh, old time great player, Gene Skinner from Fullerton, California, he took pity on me. He watched me play once uh, down at Benzers in Chicago. And he, I get my I got my brains knocked in, and he he said, "Come here, kid." He said, "Listen," he said, "Come by tomorrow afternoon. I'll meet you here, and I'm going to show you how to play one pocket." He said, "You got no chance. What you're doing now?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in those days, guys did not teach you anything. You couldn't learn anything. You ask a good player for an advice, he'd laugh at you. Yeah, the secrets were all they kept them to themselves. You know, they never tell you anything. Right, right. And, he, and uh, so he took pity on me and. uh he worked with me for about uh, a week straight in the pool room, showed me what to do, and he, he taught me the concept of how to play one pocket, okay? Because a guy can show you shots. I learned, I had I took lessons from the great player, Joe Persida, too. I learned nothing. Because <laughs> Joe would show you a shot. Here's this shot, there's that shot. Now, you might go two years and not see the shots that he, right. that he taught me, okay? Yeah. But Gene Skinner taught me how to think. In every situation, how to how to adapt to each uh, position, each situation that comes up, you know, and how to yeah. how to handle it, mm-hmm. how to develop the concept of one pocket, and Bing, man, a, a light went on in my head, and I improved like two balls in <laughs> one week. As a matter of fact, I went down to uh, I went down to Johnson City in 1970. I was 30 years old, and I played my first tournament ever. I never played the tournament. And I played in the Johnson City One Pocket Tournament. That was the first time you had ever played in a tournament? First time ever, at 30 years old. Wow. And uh, my first opponent was Cicero Murphy. Really? Which was the world's champion, a great black player from Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, the, uh, the line, they, you know, they had a betting line down there. There was a lot of action in Johnson City. Mm-hmm. And the betting line was 5-1 to one against me. <laughs> that was a 5 <laughs> I was a five to one underdog, which was the right line. Okay, it was the right line. I'm a total, you know, beginner. Yeah, yeah. But uh, something happened. I got into that. They had these the pit where you play. It was a pit surrounded by bleacher seats, and the lights were phenomenal. They had a phenomenal lighting system. They had these big floodlights over the table, so the lights, the best lighting system I've ever played under. 
as soon as I got underneath those lights, something happened, man. Something came over me, and uh, I don't know what it was exactly, except that I know I knew that I was going to play good. Okay, <laughs> my head, my mind was clear. I was relaxed, and uh, anyway, I, I broke the balls. I won the the uh, I won the lag, and I broke the balls, and I sold out a shot in Cicero. Well, I was still a little nervous at that point. And Cicero shot, he ran about five, and he missed, you know, uncharacteristically. He missed. And uh, I ran eight and out. <laughs> now they were playing winter breaks then. So the next game, I broke. I made a real good break, real strong break. Cicero tried to play safe. He couldn't do it. I ran another eight and out. The next game, yeah, the next game I broke. Not pretty strong, but he played a decent safety. Anyway, I found, I banked the ball at the stack. One went in, eight and out again. That's three eight and outs in a row. Mm. He's only been to the table three times now. <laughs> the fourth game, I broke the balls again. And this time I made one on the break, and I run eight and out again. Four eight and outs in about ten minutes, maybe less than that. It's just has been to the table three times. Anyway, uh Betcha he was not was very happy the, about that. It's my first that's my first tournament match. Okay, my <laughs> tournament match. And there was some there was a bus driver that hung around Bensinger's uh an old friend of mine named Milton. He was the only guy dumb enough to bet on me and take the five to one. I didn't bet, you know what I mean myself. I didn't even bet. But he bet he took five to one. Wow. So, like I said, with that knowledge I gained from Skinner, uh, I did. I came in fifth in the tournament, which was my first tournament. Yeah, that's not bad. And I had a, I, I, I got a little goofy. I had a chance. I played Ronnie Allen for third, third place. Ronnie Allen was the best, best player in the world, and uh, we're playing for third place in the tournament. If I had to beat him, I had to play Boston Shorty for the championship. <laughs> Playing race to four, four to seven. I got Ronnie three games to two, and I just run seven balls. Okay? I need one ball to knock Ronnie out. I didn't have a shot. Mm. Now, all I had to do was just shoot, play a little safety, and shoot a couple, shoot the ball away from Ronnie's side, that the danger ball. Yeah. And manage the balls and put the ball, take some balls out of play. And I would have been a gigantic favorite to win the game. But, the hand bone and he came out and I wanted to run eight and out. I ran seven. I wanted to run eight and out. And I, I seen, I looked, I seen a three ball combination. And you know, you start feeling good. You figure, you know, you're invincible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, I want to run. I want to beat him by running eight and out, which big deal. Eight and out. What's the difference? How you beat him as long as you win? Yeah. I went for the three ball combination. I missed it. And, uh, Ronnie ran five off of that. Maneuver around, maneuver around, end up winning the game, and then they played winter breaks. Then, so it was his break. He made a real good break, and he got three balls off the break, and he just played defense from there, and he just ground me out, and he ended up winning it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like so I said, came in phenomenal. And that just from that that training I got from Gene Skinner. Yeah, yeah. The kind of player he was. That had to have been a really intimidating situation uh, to be uh, in the, against all those, I don't want to say pros, but all those badasses, and you 
<laughs> you know, the beginning. Well, you know, here, here's something. Here, here's something here, Dave. I was down there. I went to Johnson City every year except the first. Mm-hmm. 61 was the first year they had it. Uh, I was there from 62 to 72 every year. It lasted three weeks. I usually stayed a whole three weeks. And I'd watch these guys play. And what struck me is, uh, you know, I was like anybody else. I said, well, what if I play one of these guys for big money? I'm going to shake. I'm going to tremble. But I watched them playing each other. And I noticed something. I'm watching, like, um, handsome Danny Jones was playing uh, Lassiter, Wimpy Lassiter. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at him. His hand was, his grip hand was shaking like a leaf. <laughs> <laughs> he was trembling all over the place. He was shaking, bro. You could see it. But meanwhile, he was playing real good anyway. <laughs> mm. it, didn't, it didn't affect his game too much. I looked around. I watched these other guys. When they played each other, they shook just like anybody else. Their nerves were, you know, a jangle. Yeah, yeah. So I said, but they, but what I, what I learned there is just because they were nervous didn't mean that they couldn't play, that they couldn't handle it, that they could, you know what I mean? They couldn't handle the nerves, and they played right through all of that. Right, right. So I said, so it's okay to be a human being and to be nervous. It's okay. Might even help in some spots. Yeah, to have that kind of uh, uh, excitement going on in you, and you still be able to play. So, I, I, you know, when I played these guys, I wasn't as as, as nervous as maybe uh, somebody else might have been. You know, or, or you know, other kind of some other kind of a novice. You know, mm-hmm. that didn't have that background. Line up your shot, shift it to gear. You'll burn your fingers if you stand. How did you uh, get interested in pool in the first place? I mean, uh, was it just something that your family did and you just picked it up, or was there something that that sort of set you off? Well, I come out of a Bridgeport neighborhood in Chicago. It's Mayor Daly's old neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an old Italian neighborhood. And it's, uh, it's a tough neighborhood, okay? Yeah. Pretty rough neighborhood. Really rough. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a skinny kid. Skinny, you know, and <laughs> I didn't mature. I didn't grow until I was like 21 years old. <laughs> so I was skinny, and uh, everybody was my age. Kids my age were all bigger than me and stronger, you know, and, and so in, in the athletics, I wasn't too good, you know, in football, baseball. Right. So I tried to play bowling, you know, because everybody was, you could be kind of skinny and bowl. <laughs> so we used to go to the bowling alley when I was like 14. And uh, it was very popular. And the lanes were usually tied up. You'd have to sign your name and wait for a lane. They'd call you, you know, yeah. they'd put you on a waiting list. So one day we're in there, we're waiting for the lanes, myself and my friends, waiting for a lane to open up. And uh, the guy says, one of the kids says, well, listen, they got a pool room next door. Why don't we go next door, shoot a few games of pool while we're waiting for a bowling lane to open up? <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. He wants to just sit there and wait. So we went into the pool room next door. Had about four tables. 
Napanella's bowling alley and pool room. Well, you know, the end of the story, when they called our name for the bowling alley, we told them, keep it, brother. <laughs> we like it where we're at. <laughs> and, I, and I never went back to a bowling alley again, okay? I never bowled another game. The rest of that was, that was let's see, uh, 58 years ago. <laughs> wow. So you enjoyed it that much then? Well, it just it just captured me. I, yeah. Because even with a bowling ball, the bowling ball was like 16 pounds. Even that was kind of, you needed a, to be kind of a strong guy to, you know, to bowl too. But pool, you know, I, I felt I had a, a penchant for it right away. Do you remember what kind of, what game you guys were playing at that point? Well, that that game, we didn't play banks then. We played uh, rotation. That was the first game we played. It's the only game we knew, we knew how to play, rotation. Sure, sure. You know, 15-ball rotation. Now, do you, um, looking back, what do you suppose the largest amount of money was that you ever were able to take out of, of a match? Well, I played Archie Karras, the highest rolling gambler of all time, the guy from Vegas. Uh, Archie, <laughs> uh, we, we played for $100,000 a game. Per game? <laughs> Yeah, per game, yeah. One pocket. What? Well, <laughs> we started playing the first, we started playing eight ball. And uh, the first game of eight ball we played was for 40000 a game. Now, if you knew Archie, you can understand that this guy, uh, that's nothing to this man. Hmm. The guy, the guy had just, he just come from a run at the horseshoe in Vegas where he had won, he was about anywhere between 30 to $50 million a winner. Gambling. Wow. Uh, at the crap tables, and he had beat every poker champion around there. You know, Doyle Brunson and all those guys, uh, Chip Reese. You know, he annihilated them people, playing them heads up, no limit poker, because nobody could bet like this guy. You know, this guy, if he had a bankroll, I mean, he just put bet $2 million on a 2-7, you know? <laughs> And they couldn't fade it. Nobody could fade it. Yeah. So he had he had all the five thousand dollar chips that they had at the horseshoe in his cage. So they estimated between thirty and fifty million dollars. And I lost a lot of it back eventually, naturally. He didn't quit. He wants to win the whole state of uh, Nevada. <laughs> so he had about four or five million left. And uh, so they talked these guys there. These hustlers there talked him into. Uh, going to Pennsylvania to play this um, eccentric millionaire which an industrialist that bet real high. And Archie had heard about this guy, you know, for years. Heard about, he didn't know who he was, didn't know what he looked like. But he heard that the guy was a real degenerate gambler. So now he's, he, he didn't want to play him when he had the 40, 30, 40 million. He didn't want to play anybody, you know. <laughs> but now that he's, he's the money's sort of uh, evaporating on him, he figured maybe he can go there and maybe win four or five million, you know, steal four or five million from this guy. So he, he went to Pennsylvania. But meanwhile, Stash in Pennsylvania is me <laughs> in this little town. I'm going to play the part of this the billionaire. Like I say, he doesn't know who I am. <laughs> so we, so we had, we had, uh, 
the waitresses and the bartenders clued in on it. You know, they they call me by the guy's name and uh, <laughs> thank you, sir, and you know all that bullshit. You know. <laughs> so Archie, he ain't fell. What's he gonna? Why not? You know, it's a little the town had a town of about five thousand people. Okay. Who'd ever suspect there was something going on? Like, plus there is a real person. Archie knew there was a real guy there in this town. Only I wasn't him. <laughs> <laughs> so That's we went funny. to the pool room. There's a little bowling alley there. Nobody in the place. I said, well, we'll play some play a game of eight ball. So I said, okay, what do you want to play for, Archie? Ah, eh, play some 40,000 a game. That <laughs> 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 was just. Line. Did you even now have you had, did you even have that much cash to back no, it up? No, no, no. Okay. Of course not. Okay, yeah. Of course. Right, but I, I got the story. I'm the billionaire. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Exactly. My word is good. I got checks, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he brought cool. with him he brought with him about two hundred thousand uh worth of chips from the horseshoe. Mm. He didn't have any cash, he had chips. <laughs> Matter of fact, he had Four twenty-five thousand dollar chips. See, he, like I told you, he'd won all the, the five thousand dollar chips. So yeah. what they had to do is they had to invent a new chip for Archie, a twenty-five thousand dollar <laughs> chip that was for him only. Okay, just for him. They're only good for him. That's funny. So, yeah. So he had four twenty-five thousand dollar chips and the rest another twenty-five thousand dollar chips. So I'll never forget, we, we played the first game. He broke, didn't make anything. Balls are all hanging in the pocket. I was a little nervous. I said, let me just get off winner anyway. I just, I couldn't help it. I run out. I run the whole game out for the 40000 I didn't have to show any speed going. Mm-hmm. Boom, he hands me eight $5,000 chips. Next game, I break. I don't make nothing. This time, he runs out. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Not all. I got to be it's, it's 40,000 back. Now I'm a little nervous now because yeah. he's not supposed to be a very good player. You know, but uh, we seesawed back and forth and then we finally kicked it up pretty good. And uh, anyway, I ended up winning like a hundred thousand dollars the first night. <clears throat> mm-hmm. You know, wow. stalling around. We got, you know, and he ended up, uh, he gave me four $25,000 chips. Which are actually worthless unless he okay's them. They're worthless. You know, if I try to cash them at the horseshoe, <laughs> they're going to laugh at me. Yeah. He's got to call the horseshoe and tell them to, to, to give me the money, you know. Damn. So, but anyway, we, had to, we, we couldn't play anymore until we had those chips cashed. <laughs> so I had to invent some reason. I said, well, listen, I have to fly to Japan. <laughs> I got this big... big Board of directors meeting over there with uh, some <laughs> Toyota or somebody. I forgot what was that. <laughs> you know, they, they get me out of the picture right, until right. the kid that we sent back to, um, which was Larry Schwartz. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Larry Schwartz got sent, flew back to Vegas to catch the chips. Archie had already okayed them, but we didn't have the money. So he flew back. Cashed the chips and then came back to uh, Pennsylvania. Man, man, that's and then uh, now we can play again. You know. 
Oh, you got some nuts, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> well, it was, yeah, it was pretty scary, I'll tell you. You know, it's, it's a lot of pressure, you know. Well, I mean, pressure. what would you have done if you had lost? I mean, I mean, had it been a hundred thousand dollar bet and you, and you lost, what do you do then? Oh, I was going to give him a story. Sorry, <laughs> you know, I'll give you one a check. And then, well, you know, you know, he doesn't want a check. We wrote a hundred thousand dollar check. <laughs> we like, you know, I'll, I'll turn the, you know, I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> cash in some bonds or do something. I'll, I'll get you the money in a few days and uh. Oh man, that's good stuff. Yeah, you know, if we played one game, he could win, like he did. But we didn't. You know, we're gonna play. Uh, you know, yeah. play through the night. Sure, sure. The climax of all this was after the first session is over. I got the hundred thousand. Now we got to go pay the time at this little bowling alley. <laughs> There's nobody there. You know, the, the guy, the guy that was running the counter, he had no idea what we were doing. Yeah. The time was twenty one dollars. So I guy said, twenty-one dollars, sir. So I started not. I'm really gonna digging into this guy pretty good. I started patting myself, like as if I can't find twenty-one dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm patting, you know what I mean? I'm patting my pockets. Look, look, I'm short arming them. That's what they call a hustler. The alligator arm, short arm. You can't reach your pockets. Uh-huh. I'm patting my pockets. I can't find twenty-one dollars. I got a hundred thousand dollars in my pocket. He just gave it to me. I can't find twenty one dollars to pay the time. In other words, like I'm a real cheap guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's a really big. Anyway, so oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He says, oh, I'll, I'll get the time. So he pulled out the twenty one dollars and he paid the time. <laughs> I thought, oh, thank you, Archie. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the a hundred one hundred thousand and twenty one dollars. So now he was really hooked because he figured out was a real creep. You know? <laughs> oh, that's good, man classic stuff that's for sure well freddie i gotta get out of here so uh i appreciate you taking the time uh if you guys are uh listeners out there are going to be in new york uh tell us the dates again there fred april 8th to the 12th april 8th to the 12th the ace hotel ace hotel in the lobby uh the bar and probably at steinway's billiards probably steinway or society I'll, I'll, I'll let everybody know before I go. Yeah, you guys, I'm sure, will we'll make another announcement before that time comes up. All right, well, take care of yourself, buddy, and uh, we will All talk right, to you, you again very soon. Thanks, David. I enjoyed it.